Hey, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to SinSensor.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. This podcast is made by SinSensor.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to SinSensor.com and sign up. The link is in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. It really helps me keep the positive energy going to make more podcasts. So welcome to the podcast. Today we got Tosh on the show and we'll be talking about mindfulness and also how to recover from divorce. And Tosh is a founder of Divorce Goddess and she's a divorce and mindfulness coach and influencer that specializes in transforming the divorce and separation experience through emotional and mental well-being. She's also been featured in the Sunday Times, Bella Magazine, as well as work with BBC, ITV and Sky and others. So welcome on the show today, Tosh. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Lovely to be here. My pleasure. I look forward to this today. First, I just out of curiosity, I have to ask you what made you get into working with this specific topic um, around divorce, which obviously can be quite a heavy topic. Yeah, people ask me this, actually. They go, God, don't you get really bored with this? But actually, um, for me, uh, my own divorce and journey was such an enlightening process, um, a sort of self-discovery um and and as a result we had i decided to throw kindness at my divorce um that i was kind of like you know what if i can do it and i'm really stubborn um and i was thinking can i help others to have the same experience as well because ultimately you know we can't do anything about what our partners want to say or do or think about us but we always have a choice about how we show up And I just thought, you know, as part of the whole healing process of divorce, if I can help others and uh, and share my journey and, you know, sort of all those sort of tools and practices, um, then that would be something I would like to do. So I started writing my blog in 2014 and very promptly got picked up by the press and, um, and it's morphed into a podcast, obviously, and uh, and all sorts of things and lovely coaching program, which I'm going to release soon. And yeah, I, and I just guess it's that desire to help people through a really painful process as well. Yeah, and I guess that makes sense. It's where most of our motivation come from, personal experience, right? And mm. feeling that there's some way we can help people alleviate their pain when they have to go through the mm. same. So I think that's wonderful. Mm. I think I, I want to, I really want to start with mm. where, where I guess where the problem starts and when people come to you, do you have a sense of what are the main reasons actually that people get divorced in the first place? What is it that causes their relationship to deteriorate to the point where, where they simply don't want to be in that attachment anymore or maybe don't feel attached anymore? Yeah, um, I, I I'm going to talk to you about sort of diamond analogy. So you have this sort of diamond on its on its tip, so it's the length of the diamond. And I kind of you know you talk about how couples they meet and they're you know it's at the point they're the closest at the sort of the end point of the diamond, you know, and you know life, work, children, all this stuff sort of comes into play, and and at the widest point of the diamond um, is the furthest point apart that couples are at 
And, and then you can either, I guess there's that choice that you can either choose to make it work and start sort of coming together again to meet at the final point, uh, or you, you choose to walk away. And, you know, we, I think we do live um, in difficult times. I think there are a lot of pressures on couples these days. I think there's a lot, um, I don't want to sort of, you know, pillory uh, social media, but, you know, there's a, there's, there is a lot um, of stuff that couples are actually, you know, having to accommodate in their relationships that they probably didn't have many years ago. But ultimately, you know, people move away from each other because they fall out of love, they may start fancying them, They may, one might want children, one might not, alcohol, substance abuse, you know, unreasonable behaviour, desertion, and a third party, you know, the elephant in the room, the other, the third person in a relationship, which is uh, um, probably the biggest reason, I was going to say, um, the statistics, but I do know that 58% of women um, ask for a divorce and uh, its name, the third party's name, so. Mm, yeah, thank you for clarifying that. I also think, yeah, I think you mentioned a bit, because also we have a, I guess we get married for very different reasons today than we used to in the past. In the past, it was more a contractual idea of two people that were going to help each other get through life financially, raise a family together. While in the modern world we live in, it's more based on this idea of love and attraction, etc. So we have very different expectations. And I guess I talked to somebody on another podcast about this recently, how we have quite unrealistic expectations of our partner because we used to live in tribal communities that would provide for these different needs. And now mm. we basically put all these needs on one person to be the person who makes us safe, who is exciting, who is um, provide for our sexual needs, who you know, help with the, the income, with the children, with having share our interests, etc., etc., who makes us laugh. All these things are put on to one person mm. often. And like I said, it used to be a whole village that would provide for this, um, which is just really yeah. interesting how we look at relationships so differently today, right? And also, I think there's a lot, this idea from Hollywood that love is this magical chemistry that happens. And when it's not there, then the relationship is over, when the truth is that mature and lasting love is a dedicated effort that requires a skill set from, from both people involved, yeah, I, I, and that real, that awareness as well. And that I think that self-kindness, I think so often these days people are looking for something in their partner or their, their spouse, which, you know, to, to heal what they may have inside of them that hasn't been identified. You know, they're looking for that person to fill that space. And um, I mean, so, you know, this could, quite a bit we sort of touched before we started talking on you know the sort of the whole dating thing that happens after divorce and you know I think so often people are looking for you know something to to um complete them and you know and with that you know we talk about loneliness in marriage and um I spent a lot of time in my marriage being on my own. And uh, I wrote a blog called uh, Is uh, Marriage Lonely Better Than Divorce Lonely? And I think so often when people are, um, there's something missing from them in them, they, they do look uh, to their partner to 
um, or somebody they want to date to sort of fill in, in in those cracks I liken it to sort of paving stones you know when you sort of look at a a profile on a dating site and you know you've got the bare bones you've got sort of the the flagstones of what they like and and sort of a lot of people spend a lot of time sort of filling in all those cracks before they meet them so there is this sort of disappointment that happens because they're not the perfect yeah. person they had in their head um you know in between sort of chatting and then meeting um and I think as we go through life I think couples also uh the sort of expectations and I think especially in this very um in this internet driven world that uh yeah we're sort of living within that rather than actually within ourselves and that sort of comes down to awareness and being more mindful as well yeah, I like it's an important point you bring up. And also because I can recognize I have parts of my life where I would feel very lonely. And I also did, I think, in several years at the end of my marriage um, with my mm. ex-wife. And I think the interesting thing is that we often think that just finding somebody new to replace them with would then take away that loneliness. And what I found is loneliness uh, uh, to have intimacy and feel connected is a skill set that's required that we actually learn. So just replacing with somebody new, reliving the same dynamic will not necessarily change mm. anything. And understanding intimacy and Brené Brown, who is a researcher in vulnerability, yeah, has uh, you know, her. yes, he's wonderful and written some mm. great books, great TED talks that mm. people can watch for free. Really talks about the fact is you know we need to learn these skills of being able to be vulnerable, being able to meet mm. and accept our partner's vulnerability, if we want mm. to experience that intimacy. So unless we're mm. able to do that, and for me that was work I then did by going away and doing, that- doing training. So I knew that I could get that ability and skill set and self-awareness before I went into another relationship I think that's really key what you just said as well because it you know we have to love ourselves and we have to and I don't mean that you know that sort of egotistic way but it just in a very gentle loving way and to be able to be with ourselves and I know so often, you know, that the thought of being on your own, which is why, you know, what has just happened, you know, in the last few months um, in our world and so many people having to be on their own with themselves as well is, I, I believe it's an incredibly healing experience and an incredibly empowering experience as well. Um, and that's not like, you know, you can do it on your own of course you know we all you know we as humans all need other humans around us but I think the the power that comes from you being able to be with yourself and have that time and and to really enjoy spending time with yourself as well and I think when you go through sort of separation and divorce it's we sort of we feel like we've lost something of ourselves and um, when I work with clients, it's really about sort of coming back to, and reconnecting to who they are, um, rediscovering themselves and all that lovely, gorgeous, juicy, sparkly loveliness that sort of goes or sort of gets layered up under life. Yeah, I like that point. And also, I guess, like you said, yeah, finding the joy that they had with themselves, whether it's hobbies that they mm. want to take up and start exploring you know, things that are valuable for them. And I think that's a great opportunity when doing that. I think one thing that often happens as we get to the end of a relationship before people 
end up divorcing, or I guess also doing divorce, is that often mm-hmm. a lot of resentment has built up over the years, right, from unexpressed needs, violated boundaries, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And what I wanted to talk to you a bit about today is how can people try and avoid that resentment becoming really destructive in the divorce process? Because I have seen so many divorces go really horribly wrong where people just try to destroy each other. It becomes so toxic for them, for the children. And, you know, Mm -hmm. behind this, it's so clear that it's because there's a lot of resentment either on both sides or one side. What could couples do to try and deal with this? Because it's really toxic for everyone involved, both the one that is resentful Mm -hmm. and the one that's on the receiving end, right? I think it's um, really important. I mean, I mean, sometimes people come to me and they're so far down the line and there is that resentment. And um, I I do think if you're thinking about it or maybe, you know, you're you're just beginning the process, setting an intention um, that you both are going to create a space within this process, this divorce process, where you um, you set an intention for it to be respectful and it's almost a, a sort of a, a new um, part of your lives you're creating. Um, and I think that kind of gives people a sense of control. So it's not sort of the rest of all the old stuff and the resentment and the anger. It's actually going, okay, so we're just going to park that for the moment. We're just going to create a space where we can um, create uh, or project manage this going forward without the emotions for the betterment of our children, uh, for ourselves. And I had, um, it's really interesting. Somebody mentioned it to me the other day. I used to have a mantra about, um, about anger. And I used to have it on my phone on a screensaver I created. And it was called, um, you, you will not have my anger. So every time I felt sort of anger coming up or resentment, I would just I would just sort of chant this to myself or in my head, and I would just you know I'd go for a long walk or a long march up a big hill or something, and I would just say, "You will not have my anger. You will not have my anger." And actually, in saying that you will not have my anger, I didn't bottle it up. I just acknowledged that I had it, and that I could make the choice not to, um, uh, you know, put it out there and grow, you know, whatever animal this, you know, this, your relationship has turned into, whether it's an angry thrashing around one, nervous, upset, you know, the fight, flight or freeze. Um, so yeah, to avoid resentment, um, yeah, just being aware, I think, you know, either whether that's through uh, learning to meditate. When I say meditate, if that's not your thing, just deep breathing, Um, just being aware of your body. How do you feel when you feel angry? What is your body telling you when you're feeling angry? You know, if you've got a rock in your stomach, your shoulders tight, do you have a headache? You know, you know, is your head feeling completely like sort of, you know, charged, you know, your fists clenched, um, just really noticing the effect anger has on your body. And I think the more we become aware of um, when we feel angry, the better we can um, sort of just check check on it and come back to that present moment as to whether you, you, know, you want to continue feeling angry because nobody actually likes feeling angry. We end up 
beating ourselves up afterwards, feeling angry or saying, or acting in a way that, you know, we don't feel good about ourselves. Um, it's a big subject. Obviously, I can talk for hours. Yeah, but I, I think it's <laughs> wonderful. And also a bit like I shared with you before we started the mm -hmm. podcast with, with my ex-wife how we went into emotional focus therapy of course it requires yeah. two people that actually are willing to do that process otherwise it doesn't work but I just mm. found it was such a beautiful process both for healing the resentment because the truth is walking around with resentment or anger is very toxic for the person feeling those emotions because like mm. you said it's a constant stress response and of course it creates a toxic dynamic so in that healing in itself and being able to hear each other so we could both let go of that resentment and also I think it can heal a lot of these wounds so they're not taking on to the next relationship again so yeah. it kind of helps you heal that baggage but like I said of course it requires two partners um, but for us it was wonderful to kind of start taking away from being personal about her not being good or me not being good and seeing mm. how we have just been blind as we walked into a minefield and kept st stepping on each other's minds and mm. not being aware of these past wounds that we kept triggering in each other and it didn't mean the other person was bad and being able to see that and, and then feel that acceptance and love of the other person even though we didn't want to be together I think can be hugely healing as well for that process. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I like the fact that you sort of, you know, you did that work together as well. Uh, and that's what I try to create. You know, I want I want couples to take the best parts of their relationships and they don't remember it all for being bad, uh, which can so often, ha so, so often happen, sorry, at the end of a relationship. Um, and actually sort of acknowledging that you both still have really good parts that work really well in the marriage and using those to work together out of your marriage. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention to you as well is that, you know, and there are probably people going, yeah, well, actually, I, my, my, my ex, my spouse, my wife, my husband, are never, they're never going to sign up to any of this. And I remember having this conversation with my ex and, uh, uh, and it really started after these friends of mine were saying to me, okay, what are you going to do? Because we kind of pretty much went bankrupt at the same time, although the two weren't connected. And, uh, and I was going, I don't know. And they're going, you've got to go after him for anything they've got left. Da, da, da. And I just remember thinking, I had this big rock and it felt so uncomfortable inside me. And I just thought, I, I don't want to feel like this. And I remember speaking to him a couple of days later and I just said to him, listen, I'm going to divorce you with kindness and I don't care what you're going to throw at me or say to me, you will only have kindness from me. And it's a very disarming thing when that happens. And I could just see he was sort of standing there going, well, I wasn't expecting that because all our friends and family were literally running for the hills going, oh my goodness me, it's going to be huge. And I just thought, I'm not going to give anybody what they're expecting. And, and my ex just stood there and he just kind of went, mm, okay. Uh, and I just said, yeah, you're not going to have my anger. I'm just going to be kind to you. So this is where I'm coming from. And when I think people are faced with kindness, it's very difficult um, where do you go? Yeah, And also, I guess it disarms his fight or flight response because you know he's not going to be attacked, which makes it much more likely that mm. he can engage with you in a kind way. 
because mm, when we exactly. anticipate being attacked and our adrenaline already kicks off right and we start off on a defensive foot where we're ready to fight yeah. back so i think yeah. that's great because i can see how that would really even you saying it here on the podcast made my body feel all relaxed like literally yeah. somebody's saying i will only meet you because it takes down the defense wall right suddenly we're like oh i'm yeah. not gonna be attacked and then we can kind of calm down so it was really interesting to notice just as you mentioned that i notice even how my own body just relaxing so i can totally see how that would work yeah and i think you have to say it as well thank you for sharing that um i think you have to say it and just actually with no expectation that you know your soon-to-be ex-spouse is going to say yes or no. You just have to fully believe and own your part in the process of saying this and saying, actually, do you know what? This is just because you can only take responsibility for yourself. Um, so yeah, and I did say to him, I didn't sort of say, well, I'm going to do this. It really was just, this is what I'm going to do. And this is me. And, and I guess it's coming back to being vulnerable and not, and, and not a doormat. So you're not going to be walked over, but you're actually just saying, listen, this, I'm being vulnerable. And I'm just going to say, this is how I want it. To, you know, this is how I would like it to be, not want it to be, but how I'd like it to be. And this is how I'm going to show up. Um, and setting that intention, of course, as well. Yeah, I really like that. I think that's wonderful. And at the same time, of course, and you already said that, I think if, if just so people don't misunderstand out there, it doesn't mean that it's not okay to feel mm. anger or other emotions. It's just that you chose mm. that you were not going to express that and deal with him in that way, right? But you were still allowing yourself yeah. to feel whatever you might feel in the moment. Oh, yeah, I'd still get in my car and go and drive along a very straight road, shouting my head off, <laughs> or, or running, or like standing on top of some hill, literally just going, what is going on at the top of my voice? <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Because I, because I think that's also important, right? Because the fact is, these emotions are there for a reason. Emotionals are, mm. are signals that tell us something. So they need somehow to to go through their cycle. So what we're talking about is not, denying those emotions it's just you said you wouldn't deal with him in that way and I think that's important people get that point it doesn't mean to deny if we feel anger for me uh, an amazing way to deal with that has been actually through journaling so rather than express my anger to my partner which would do nothing but create more and more conflict more and more stress but I still recognize that it needed a voice and I would journal it down. And if I had the need for it to be heard, because sometimes we have that, we want recognition, we want to be heard. I think it's important to realize our partner that we're divorcing probably can't give us that. But maybe, for example, our friends can on a therapist. So journal down and maybe send it to them. Um, yeah. And that way you can still get acknowledgement without you know, it ending up creating more and more toxicity. So I just know for me that has been really helpful. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I came across several of my notebooks in which I did journal. And what I really enjoyed, part of the process for me of uh, of sort of becoming aware of, you know, I think when in divorce so often people think, oh, my goodness, this is it forever. And this is how I'm going to be feeling. Um, and and it was noticing as I went, I mean, I didn't read them lots, but I think I just used to occasionally look uh, back at what I'd written. And I'd realized just how far I had come, even in a week or two weeks, and the difference in the way I was thinking. Uh, and, and I always talk about the divorce mind monkeys. 
um, and, uh, you know, and how effective they were around a certain subject or ineffective, depending on, you know, how I was feeling and that sort of self-care element as well that uh, is really important in divorce. So, yeah, yeah looking back, but you're right. Um, uh, but also as well, I think it's really important that you have your a really good support squad who are there for you, who are your 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 balancing people. They're not the people that are just going to start. And, and many people do this because, not because they don't love you or they don't care about you, but it's coming from their own lens and their own experiences of divorce or breakup or whatever, is to really choose your 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 friends who you ask for advice or to read as you said um you know your journals uh who are you know for the good of you both and if you have children obviously and your children as well so there is a balance there yeah i like that and also even and this is something i did i would even if sometimes i had the need to speak to a friend but i knew that they're advice is not very constructive i would even tell them that and say i would love to if you can you listen to this i want to just read something to you but i don't actually mm. want feedback or advice is that and if they say okay to that then i would then you know tell them or read it because a lot mm. of people will just buy into the anger and then reinforce that back to you mm. which is not necessarily constructive Helpful. right no, no exactly. exactly and then it's you know it's still possible to just say to them actually i'm not looking for feedback i just really need a space where i can express myself is that okay and mm. if they say yes then you know you can go ahead but what I want to talk to you about too is you know if we're stuck in the middle of a divorce how is it possible you talk obviously about well-being and I think a lot of people mm. think how is it possible to actually have well-being <laughs> doing a divorce because oh. it's obviously for many people a very traumatizing experience mm. so um for me you know I mean crikey divorce is like disappearing down a rabbit hole and nothing in your life's as as it seems and you know sort of how our lives have been scattered into a million pieces so you know to be able to operate in a way that's going to get you through in the most um healing way I'm going to use the word healing is to really start gathering up those pieces you know uh learning to nurture yourself putting time even as a single parent in place to um, you know, if you're mine, so if you can try some breathing exercises or if you want to try mindfulness meditation or, you know, any meditation, but it's really about having that, it's about looking after you, it's that oxygen mask, um, and especially if you have children as well. And uh, I found, just to short share a little bit about my story, uh, one day I was Clearly, I was exhausted and um, I dropped my children off at school and I came back and I was in the middle of making a cup of tea and I just started crying. And I think I cried for about six hours and I just took myself off to the downstairs bathroom and I just sat on the floor and I just cried. And it was, I guess it was a mini sort of breakdown, but it was a, a clear indication to me that I couldn't carry on as I was doing and I needed to make time for myself you know, to get back into my meditation practice, to eat well, which I was doing, thankfully. Um, and and then I would suggest to people, you know, notice how you feel when you're drinking coffee or, you know, sugary drinks. 
Um, how do you feel the next day if you've had a couple of too many glasses of alcohol or if alcohol is not working for you? Um, and I'm not saying don't with any of this, but just be aware of uh, how you eat um, and what you drink as well and how it affects you and particularly going into meetings as well. You know, if you've got to send your 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 ex um, an email or you have to have a conversation or you have to go into a courtroom or mediation room, just lay off the coffee and you might not have slept the night before and you might be thinking, well, actually, I really need coffee. But if you can, try not, you know, try to eat something, try to eat a good breakfast um, and, and drink lots of water. And there's a um, there's an acronym that's called HALT, but I've put uh, an extra letter in as well. It's my, some, my version. And it's about being hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and ill. And, and it's really about noticing when you are feeling like this. So well-being for me is about really uh, getting to know your body, getting to know your mind. How does your mind work under you know, if you're more likely to be stressed, can you go outside and uh, get some fresh air before you have to go into a meeting? Can you listen to a, a meditation in the car? Can you um, just, you know, write down your thoughts so they're on paper and they're not in your head? So getting those mind monkey thoughts, you know, out of your head. And, um, and I think when we know because we all know when we're not looking after ourselves and that just sort of compounds this overwhelm that happens uh, when going through divorce as well. So I would, uh, yeah, self-care. If self-love is difficult, um, just self-kindness is what I suggest to clients as well. So yeah, and I think I like yeah. what you said also earlier that emotions are not permanent. I think that's important to remember because mm-hmm. when we're in the pain, it feels like it will go on forever, right? Mm-hmm. And it becomes so overwhelming. And there's something about, and you talk about a lot about mindfulness, being present with the emotions. You know, emotions have to run their cycle. And mm-hmm. so wherever possible, it's about trying not to numb out. We talk about how online dating is often used as a way of numbing, right? To just go and yeah. try and find somebody who can make us feel better, but it doesn't really deal with the pain. And like you said, crying, for example, is a beautiful way. And actually, they know that crying actually helps heal, heal the brain. It's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But on a neurochemical level, it helps heal. So, and I think for a lot of men, it's very difficult to allow themselves to do these things, but it's so important to allow the emotions to be expressed because that's what they want also in that somatic way, like you said, and I did that, you know, I had a beautiful cry over some days and it was wonderful Um, Mm. and it was really healing. But I know as a man and, you know, even earlier in my life, I would have struggled doing that and also having I guess, a social support system. And again, they also had research that showed that women often deal better going through a divorce than men do. And I think that's because women are used to sharing emotions with their friends. So they have an emotional support where where a lot of men don't have that. So they end up just Mm -hmm. bottling it up and they don't really feel they can talk to their male friends about emotions. So they just go out and try and have a drink. And I think Mm -hmm. having what I call an emotional support system is really, really important to have people that you can talk about your emotions with. Um, and I guess we mentioned journaling, journaling earlier as well as a, as a way to try and process. Yeah, I mean, all of that 
definitely it's it's I think more and more though I mean what's really interesting for me is I've got a lot of family lawyers who are uh, who I've been talking to over the last few months on Zoom and they're really get on board with the aspect of well-being and emotional and mental well-being and you need your finances sorted out in your divorce and you need your legal side but you really need you as well um and yeah it's 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 really interesting there's a real shift happening um with support for uh, couples going through divorce um for that uh and you know i meet up uh, you know i've been sort of talking about dating and i think men are as you say i think they're not so able um, to find spaces available uh, to talk. Um, people keep saying to me, you need to start up a men's group as well as your women's group. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think men are getting, it's getting easier. I think it's the men I speak to, they feel they have um, friends they can speak to now. Um, I think there's, there is a shift going on. Um, yeah. Yeah, and hopefully we'll continue that because I think mm. it's so important for for both yeah. both genders to have a space to be Definitely. able to express and share that. You mentioned earlier, you know, self love, and I just wanted to talk a bit more about that because I hear that said a lot that we just have to love ourselves. But I guess a question a lot of people sit with is, what does that actually mean in practice? Because it often sounds like mm. this nice thing, but you know, how do we actually do that? Yeah. Just sitting saying, "Oh, I love myself," doesn't really make me feel better. <laughs> so, so what does that? Kind of, do you know what I mean? And I, I think I a do. lot of people might I have do. that. They're like, "Yeah, it sounds great, but how do I do it?" Yeah. So, could you maybe touch <laughs> yeah, a bit on, on what that actually mean in the real world? <laughs> I can, I can. So in the real world, okay, so self-love, and I'm going to go back to mindfulness because, you know, that's what I teach um, as well. And there is something called pleasurable and mastery activities. So pleasurable activities are, so self-love can look like booking yourself in for a lovely, lovely warm bath for half an hour. That's self-love you know, leaving your phone outside the bathroom, just being there, having a lovely sensory experience. Um, Self-love can be uh, eating well, you know, choosing to have an apple over a chocolate bar or something. Self-love can be, you know, doing some exercise. It's caring for this vehicle, which is getting us through this life, which is our body. And self-love can also be about those things that they sort of sit beside us. And we were talking about earlier about those mountains and molehills. And self-love can be those things that are those jobs that we know we need to do, but we avoid and we procrastinate about. And in mindfulness, we call them mastery activities. So it could be that, that job that you needed to do, like clearing out a cupboard or you know, clearing out your email inbox. It's a job that we need to do. And actually, when we've done it, we feel really good about it. There's a sense of mastery. And that's 
that's kindness as well for yourself. That's self-love because you're look, you're sorting out the things that are bothering you that wake you up at four o'clock in the morning or, you know, or, you know, who are, that, that are there for you all the time that are kind of, that actually don't need to be there as well. But there is that resistance to getting on and sorting it out. And I know all sorts of people get upset about having to fill in you know their financial forms during a divorce and getting figures together and it just feels like so overwhelming with everything else that happens but also there's one other thing I want to just mention as well and self-love is how you talk to yourself it's the words that you use and so often in divorce and you know separation is that sense of failure there's that sense of shame and uh it's really, you know, I'm such an idiot, or I didn't see this coming, or you know, I'm a fool. And we berate ourselves so badly and speak to ourselves so unkindly sometimes. So really have be start becoming aware of the words you use about yourself and choose when you notice you're getting into that space, actually just just you just say, Oh, I just, you know, I'm just trying my hardest. So sort of creating a different dialogue with yourself I think is a really big part of self-love especially when you're going through a big life event as well. I really like this because again and often I guess some people refer to it as self-care but it's really about treating ourselves the Mm -hmm. way we would treat somebody else we really love right because like you said often we don't give ourselves that love and whether it's giving ourselves a massage or speaking nicely mm. to ourselves. And I remember my friend, he said that to me when I was being very self-critical. And he said, would you speak to me that way if I was in your circumstance? And and I thought mm. I said, no, I wouldn't. Then he said, then why are you speaking to yourself in that way? And he said, would mm. you speak to your son in that way if he made a mistake like you did? And I said, yeah. no, of course I wouldn't. He said, no, you wouldn't, would you? He said, oh, well, what would you do to your son? I said, I would encourage him and say, we all make mistakes. He said, yeah, so why are you not speaking to yourself in that way? Because you're right, mm. you also make mistakes. And of course you did, you're human. Um, mm. And so I really, I like what you bring up here. And I think it's a good way to think in that way, right? Treat yourself the way you would treat somebody else that you love. And we mm. so often forget that and are so harsh on ourselves. Um yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't have time for this, but I just wanted to say as well, I've been following for many years and I had the privilege of seeing this amazing Japanese scientist speak a few years ago and he was called Masaru Emoto and he has since passed on, but he was a, a water scientist and he used to do lots and lots of experiments with water. So he would shout at water or swear at water and then he would speak nicely to another glass of water and tell it loved it and it spoke softly to the water and then he would go through this process where he would freeze droplets from each glass of water and the water that had been shouted at and spoken to um you know disrespectfully was this sort of crystal and it's all on youtube it's just fascinating um was this sort of like muddy puddle it was this crystal that was sort of malformed And the water that had been spoken to beautifully was this beautiful, sparkly, lovely crystal. And if and I always, you know, one of the things that kind of really struck me was that if we're speaking to ourselves disrespectfully and we're kind of pretty much like 60% water, it's like we're not actually, is it is it going to make ourselves feel better? 
So actually really being aware and saying, actually just, you know, having that mantra every morning saying, you know, I'm a strong person. I'm a, I'm a good hearted person. I'm a kind person. I'm, you know, and sort of get a few words together that, you know, ask your friends, you know, what are the words that, um, they would describe you as and write them down and repeat those to you, you know, on those days where you really feel like you're not um, worth so very much or you are, you feel invisible or you feel like a failure. Um, yeah, just, yeah. There was also a yucca plant experiment done in Japan as well where half, I think it was a company or a school, um, and again, it's all on the internet, uh, on YouTube, sorry. And and they were talking about how they asked half the company to shout at one yucca plant at, at, the, at the front door to the side of the front door as they walked into work and swear at it. That's also swearing going on. No, it's probably not a school then. <laughs> um, and then on the other side, there was a yucca plant. They all, you know, and half the company were told to go and speak lovingly to it. And that yucca plant that had been shouted at and sworn at actually started dying. And the yucca plant that wasn't and was spoken to beautifully uh, just 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 flourished. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Really is. Isn't incredible. it? Yeah, it is. And that's such a good reminder. I love that. It's a beautiful image to have to remember mm. how we actually treat ourselves. So thank you. And I think For one sure. thing I wanted to ask you as well is, because I know you deal a lot with mindfulness, what do we do when mm. emotions feel too overwhelming to sit with them because there's obviously moments where we basically get outside our window of capacity of what we can actually cope with what are some ways that people can then try to to manage that if they simply can't sit still and and it just feels too overwhelming i think what's um is to give yourself you know i would suggest if somebody was feeling like that and because what i would rather do is somebody tried than not tried and, and I would suggest that you just sat, even for a couple of minutes, just in silence, if you're feeling very stressed about something, and just focusing on your breath. And don't have any expectations as well, like, I have got to feel like this, or I've got to, I've got to get rid of this emotion, or I've got to clear this. Just, just be, just, just be, and just really notice um, that when you actually give space to an, an emotion you say right I'm going to sit with my anger notice what happens to the emotion because these emotions they grow <clears throat> they grow when we're running away from them as soon as you walk towards them and go actually I'm feeling really angry about this and I'm just going to sit with it and it's almost like that the emotion and I'll be really curious to hear as well um, your listener, what your listeners have to say about this. But um, it, it's amazing when we walk into our emotions, or even if we, like, for example, like you've got a hay bell and you just lean gently in and then you come back to your breath, is what happens to the emotions? How much heat do they still have? When you sit with them, you give them space, you go, okay, I'm just going to sit down with you now. I'm going to sit down with anger. And um, and then it's almost like anger sort of goes, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> um, uh, uh, how, ang how angry can I be now? Um, I've got her attention. 
you know, Tosh's attention. And it's, I, I, I think, sitting with emotion going, right, okay. So, you know, grief, grief as well is a big one. It's actually an accepting that it's okay to feel grief. It's okay to feel anger. And yeah. to not sweep it away and get rid of it. I must not be angry because I'm a lesser person or I must not be, you know, I've just got to get over it. And, you know, and that, I mean, very English, that stiff upper lip, um, you know, okay, on with it. And, you know, it's actually why I'm just going to sit with it. And when we, yeah, when we sit and we just take some breaths, and okay, I'm going to bring grief into my awareness now. And just notice how how strong the emotion is when you give it space. Yeah, I think thank you for, for bringing that up. And I also would say that what has been wonderful for me is adding the element of movement. Because again, if it feels almost overwhelming, that stress response, then then doing the breathing together with movement. I do something called five rhythms dancing. And oh, I love what, that. Yeah, me too. And I do, it's actually, for me, it's moving mindfulness because I'm doing deep, slow breathing mm. while I move. But I know, especially if I'm really stressed and overwhelmed, the movement allow me to release some of that adrenaline that put me back to a level where I can be present with the emotion again. So for me, even dancing around my living room, if I felt overwhelmed while, while breathing slowly, like you said, with mindfulness was so helpful. Or even if I was sitting still and it just felt too painful like take it this is something i learned in somatic therapy just take a pillow and mm. squeeze it as hard as i could and slowly let go again and and that mm. would again just allow me to discharge some of that adrenaline that made me be able to come uh, come down within that level of tolerance and also i guess the part of the five rhythm dancing i do why i love it is also that there's this beautiful healing in doing it in a in a social space i think with others And there's this wonderful book, I think it's called Tribal, um, by an American journalist who wrote about how he saw in societies where they basically healed socially because they had a, a social healing system instead of our society where we are more alone. They actually found mm. that people healed far, far faster from post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so being able to mm. go in a space and process it, but doing it with other people around that are supportive can also be really beneficial if that's mm. a possibility, of course. Um, but I really like what you said about being present with the emotions and that it's okay and it's natural to grieve, it's natural to feel anger and the only way through it is to allow it to have a space, right, and not try and mm. deny it. Mm. Definitely, definitely. I am, um, yeah, thank you. And yeah, I, I, I love that whole, one of my, my greatest things was putting on some loud music and kitchen dancing like nobody's watching. Yeah. And just and just just smiling. And there's a very interesting thing. If you if you're feeling really overwhelmed and nothing is going well and you feel sad and you feel maybe depressed and you're you're anxious or you're worried, just grinning. If you force yourself to grin, it literally it tells your brain that actually you're you're feeling happier. So you can actually just sit there. For and I, I challenge your listeners to sit there for a couple of minutes, set a timer for a couple of minutes, and just sit there grinning inanely um, to yourself, and then just notice how you feel after you have just done that for a couple of minutes. I love that. That's wonderful. And exactly, I, I mean, 
It's, it's, it's funny it's so that you just kind of, it makes you laugh as well because you're going, what am I doing? Just sitting here grinning like a Cheshire cat on my own. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it makes you feel better. It really <laughs> does. And I think you're right because we're often, we live in a world that's so fixated on our cognition, our thinking, you know, that's what we value mm. in school and in general, what's yeah. valued that we often forget this enormous impact that changing our body can have just like you said start smiling or changing our posture or moving the body that processing Mm. emotion also has to do with involving the body and not just trying to think our way through it right and i think we often have this idea and this is most therapies based on sitting talking right again logically trying to understand the emotions rather than using the body itself that have this amazing capacity for healing when we start involving it so i think it's great that you mentioned that also about smiling Mm, it's it's and it's and i think as well you know when you're going through something really tough like a divorce and you know it's it's number two in sort of the life um experiences which are really traumatic that you've got to in all of this darkness, you've got to find those lighter moments and you have to be curious. You have to be childlike. You have to have some fun with yourself or with your friends. And so often we think we, we have to have people around to have fun, but just do something goofy, you know, just like, like throwing some moves in the kitchen or dancing or grinning or, you know, just 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 have some fun with your life, you know it sort of comes back to you know being friends with yourself as well we look to everybody else to you know make us feel in a certain way but you know just just have some fun and I love that bit of quote about you know just looking at the sky and just laughing and laughing and laughing and sometimes you've just got to thread all up that and just laugh at the craziness of it all it really is. I think that's a, a wonderful ending touch. I just want to know if people are sitting out there, listeners, and they want to get in contact with you and maybe work with you, how can they find you online? Oh, thank you. Um, so I've got a wonderful website, which is going to be live um, at the beginning of September, which I'm very excited about. Uh, in the meantime, um, I have a podcast Uh Divorce Goddess. If you Google Divorce Goddess, it'll all come up. Um, if you want to talk to me, I offer a 15-minute quick chat about whether we can work together. Um, if you've got any questions at all, or just a you know maybe just a part that you just need clarification on and you want some help with. Um, and I also have a, a weekly love letter I send out every Monday morning, um, which is just like four little bullets of inspiration and recommendations as well if you're going through a divorce. So yeah, lots of lots of bits involved. So good. Thank you so much, Tosh, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast. Also leave a review to keep the positive energy going that really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts. If you want to learn the key skills to a safe, intimate and passionate relationship, then head over to sensor.com and join the free one-hour webinar. The link is in the description. You'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down. How your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle. Why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it. The simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast. Mm-hmm.